I want you to open your Bible this morning again, the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 5, 29 and 30. And I want to finish what I started last week. The title of our message last week was A Good Life. It's God's covenant offer to us. How many of you believe that if God offers you something, you ought to take it. That if God holds something out before you and said, this is for you, that you ought to have the sensibilities to reach out and take it. There'll be a lot of people who oppose it. They don't think he would actually do that, that you're being deceived. But you cannot read the Bible over and over again and see how much God offers you and say you're deceived. The people that are deceived are the people like the Pharisees that are talking God's people out of these promises. Well, don't get your hopes up and stuff like that. Chapter 5 and verse 29, he said, Oh, that my people had such a heart in them that they would fear me, reverence me, see me as for who I am, And they would keep all my commandments always. And what would happen if you did? He said that it might be well with you and your children. Now, why wouldn't we want that? And I would have to assume the only reason we don't have that is because we don't meet the conditions. Would you agree? He only asked us to do two things there. One was fear him. That's an attitude. It's a choice. Fear the Lord and keep his commandments. That's also a choice. You can assume or you can do. He said, if my people just had a heart like that, that they would fear me and keep my commandments, it would be well with them and their children forever. I like that. I really do. Now, he ends this chapter in verse 33. He said, You shall walk in all the ways the Lord your God hath commanded you, that you may live, and that it may be well with you. He says it again. I would assume that God, in relating to his people, God standing before his people as the object of their love and affection, as the source for all of their needs, that God is telling his people, I want things to go well for you. Would you agree? I want it to be well with you. You can't bypass the tribulation, the hardship, and all the trouble that goes with walking this life. But along with that, he says, I want it to be well with you. And if you do it my way, it will be. So that's what he wants you to do. So we start out by saying that God offers to us wellness, well-being, The good life. I think if everything went well for me and my wife in our home, I would think we're living the good life. Now, others may not define what we got and how we live. They might not define it as a good life, but it is to me. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not. There it is. There it is. The great shepherd of all of his people brings his people together and so takes care of them that they have no lack. Now, chapter 29, speaking of the covenant in verse 1, 
He said, this is the covenant I made with them at that place called Horeb. And one of those first things he promised there, after all of this, in verse 9, he says, Keep, therefore, the words of this covenant. So the words of a covenant have conditions. Will you agree with that? I want us all on the same page. When God makes a covenant, he makes an agreement. He brings the terms to the table. God says, now this is what I want from you. Now, this is the way I want you to live. This is what I require of you. You'll have to have a heart for this, but I'll give you that. But this is what I want. This is what I'm expecting. Now, if you'll do this, I will open up. I will give, share, bless, keep, protect unlimited supply of divine help for the rest of your life. Unlimited. Always there. As we'll see later, never goes anywhere away from you, always where you are. And all of his resources are with him wherever he is and wherever you are if you're with him and he's with you. It's there. And so he said, this is a covenant that I'm going to make with you. He said, keep therefore the words of this covenant and, and what? And do them. What does he say? That you may what? Prosper in the land. Now, there's much more to prosperity, and you'll see that after a while. There's much more to what God means by prosper than you just having money. Because a lot of people with money are miserable people. Their life is in their money. Their hopes and dreams or security is in their money. And it can mount up with wings. Proverbs says money can flee in a night. But he says that I want you to prosper. I want you to do well. I want you to make good decisions in your life. Have wisdom. I want you to show by that that God is blessing you in a special way, different from other people, because you're unique in the way you handle things in your life. You don't break down. You don't fall apart. You know what to do. You're blessed. And then in chapter 30, verses 15 and 16, you've got to remember that Deuteronomy is a review of the law, the terms, the conditions, the covenant. Before we go into the promised land, Moses' last address to his people here in this book, he says, now, before we go in there, let me remind all of you of what we have been through for 40 years and what God has told us. It's a reviewing of all of this. So he comes to the end of it, verse 15 and 16. He says, see, I have set before you this day life and good, and if you don't want that, death and evil. Now, that's a choice you can make, but they're set before you. Does your Bible say that? It is yours. Life and good, let's call it the good life, or death and evil. In that I command you this day to love the Lord your God, walk in His ways, keep His commandments and His statutes, and do what's right, that you may live in verse 16, that you may live and multiply. Now, as I said last week, he's not talking to people that are dead. These people are already alive. He's talking about living in a different level than just living a natural, ordinary life. There is an offering that comes from God that takes you, as they say in the world, it takes you to another level. You're still in the world like everybody else. 
You still have conditions you abide by. You still have to take care of yourself and all that. But God offers to, in addition to things, more than what you could ever know you could have. This is the good life. This is what God offers you. This is what belongs to us. He said in the last verse of chapter 30, Deuteronomy 30, he said that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, and that you may cleave unto him for he is your life. He is your life. Who is? God is. And he is also a long life. He's length of days in your life. Now, go to the next book over, chapter 24, Joshua. Joshua comes to the end of his life. And this is what Joshua says to the people in his day. Beginning in verse 14. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil, man, how can he say that? And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, then choose you this day whom you will serve because all of you have the power of choice. You can make the right choices. You can make the wrong choices. God offers you things that are the right choices. And if you don't want it that way, then make the wrong choice. You're going to live one or the other. It's either or. Good or bad, right or wrong, either or. You're going to make one choice or the other. This is the right way. If you don't make that choice, then you've made the wrong choice. Because if you think you're in the middle somewhere, not quite bad, not quite, uh, not, you know, then you're lukewarm. That's a bad choice. So there's only one right choice. And that choice leads to life. And it's a good life. But it's not cheap. It's not easy. Very few seem to embrace it. At least they, very few seem to hold on to it. But it's there for choice. He said, but if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord... Make a choice who you're going to serve. The word evil, as we said last week, the word evil means troublesome, irksome. Evil would be a word that describes making a choice because you're not really sure you can live this way and, and it might not work. And after all, as, as I look around, who has all these blessings come upon and, and who's really seen a miracle? And, who, and so I know it says that, but... I'm not exactly sure about that. It seems a little unreasonable. It's not exactly sensible to think that you can just call upon the Lord and he'll deliver you out of your financial debt or physical problems. That's not the way it works in the real world. They think like this. And because of that kind of thinking, they make the wrong choices. Well, yeah, God could. They don't want to say he couldn't. Yeah, God could, but, and then you make the wrong choice. Now, the wrong choice is not the good life, but the right choice is a good life. Now, as for me and my house, he ends this by saying, we want to make good choices. We want the good life. And I would agree with him that as for me and my house, there's only two of us now, but as for me and my house, we choose the good way. Not the easy way, but the good way. The good way, because you can look back if you walk this way. You can look back years later and not only see that you're held intact, that God has surrounded you and kept you, but that you have peace about your tomorrows. And I don't know a lot of people that have that. But this is the progress that is made. This is the way it works. Living without fear. 
without physical fears, without mental fears, without fears of the world and the loss of all that, without that, free from that. All because your focus is not on that, but your focus is on the Lord who is above all that. Now, today, I want to deal more with the offering of the good life, some specifics about the good life. There is no way I could personally go through all the things that God offers us because they're in the forms of promises. There are several thousand commitments that God makes to you so that you can live the way he wants you to live. And all of these commitments are in the form of promises. He is willing to give. Thank God for the Holy Spirit. One of the things that the Bible says about the Holy Spirit is, is that when he comes, he will show you the things which are freely given. You think about that. Without the Holy Spirit, you can enjoy the, the Bible, the Bible stories, salvation's themes. You can. I mean, you can relish yourself in that, and, but you basically live on level one. You know, it's not like a Hebrews 7, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us go on. It's not easy to go on without the Holy Spirit. Well, you can't. Remember, Jesus said, I have many more things to say to you, but you can't handle it right now. You, you, you couldn't receive it. It would go in one ear and out the other. It wouldn't connect. But when he, the Holy Spirit, has come, he will guide you into all truth. He will put things together for you. You begin to see it like you've never seen it. That's the work of the Spirit. That's why a lot of people in a lot of good places can talk about the Holy Spirit, but the evidence of their life is that they're really not connected with what God has said that the Holy Spirit gives. Just like gifts of the Spirit. They've already bypassed the gifts of the Spirit. Beginning at the speaking in tongues, they don't accept that. And that's how you know. I'm old school. That's how you know. If you don't want to go there, a choice you make, then you can't go the rest of the way either. You can read all the books about why you're right and everybody's wrong, but you'll stay wrong and you'll never get right as far as all the things that God has for you. didn't say you were lost. You're not saved because you received the Holy Spirit. You're saved because you received Christ. Now, these signs shall follow those who believe. Anyway, that's another message. We've been through that one before. But let me talk today about the good life. Let me give you a few things about it. And sometimes in preparation, I feel like I'm only spinning my wheels again and again and again because I talk about these things so much. And about the time I'm thinking, I can't go through all this again, I get this little spiritual tap on my shoulder and say, why not? How many charismatics do you know who are living this way now, and I thought, well, not very many. Well, then say it again. Say it again. The good life. The God-inspired, God-gifted life. First of all, the good life is the life with peace and power of His presence. The peace and the power of His presence. Do you realize today that just living aware of Jesus is a good life? How many people live a day, end a day, without thoughts about the Lord? 
the crisis they faced that day, the circumstances that day weren't a matter of prayer. It wasn't like, uh, well, what would the Lord want me to do? It's not like God is in all your thoughts. But when he is, that's who you turn to. You don't pick up the phone, oh, my, what my, what? You don't do that. You turn to the Lord. You begin to look to him for all your help and all your aid and all your assistance. Take the verse in the Bible. This is a good life. In Hebrews 13, 5, he said, you don't have to turn to it. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Would that mean there is an abiding presence? If Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will never abandon you. Is that good? Well, what does it mean? Does it just mean that there's somebody with me that I can't see and I can't feel and I can't touch and when I say something, they don't talk back? I mean, what does it mean? Well, let's go back to where the Bible goes. What do you believe? You have faith? He that cometh to God must... Is that still in the Scripture? He that comes to God must believe that he is. Is he here? How do you know? There's no physical evidence. How do you know he's here? How do you know he's with you? Well, there is no way to attest to that naturally. You have to believe, don't you? By this time, we've lost the world. You are a bunch of mystical people. You are in some zone out there. Well, we are close to being in some zone for sure. Heaven above the earth. There is something about that. But I have to believe that he's here. Whoever comes to God, you don't get to see him and hear him and touch him and feel him and see him. But he said, you must believe that he is and also that he is a rewarder of those who attend church and have been baptized in water by Brother Hamilton. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Remember a couple, three weeks, a month ago, I talked about seeking God? Seeking is inquiring. What does this mean, Lord? Well, find out. The finding out is seeking. And you start going from here to there. And you take some notes because you want to ponder this. Seeking is Psalm 1. It's meditating. It's thinking through. It's dealing with, Lord, I need to talk to you about this. It's back and forth because I want to know for me what this means. I've heard what all these folks say. I've heard what all the preachers in Hamilton, I've heard what all they say. I want to know myself. I want to have a clear picture in my heart of what it means. I can't walk in somebody else's light. I've got to have my own. Lord, open my eyes. Let the light of your word shine into my heart so I can live right. Now, this is when God reveals himself to you. It's called seeking the Lord. This is how you seek. And Jesus promised, seek and what? You will find. You'll discover something you've never seen before. It's been hidden. It's been there, but it's hidden. Eyes are closed because nobody's that determined to find out. The diligence is lacking. The hearkening is not there. It's just an assumption. I'm in a good place listening to a good word. Or I'll be all right. doesn't work like that. 
I can look back the last 30 or 40 years, there's a trail of, of woe of people that assume being in the right place at the right time was all it took, and they're gone. This is a to-the-end walk. This is all-the-way-to-the-end walk. And it's a walk of continuous discovery. And the more you begin to realize that His presence is with you, and you begin to lean on the Lord because He wants you to, He begins to give you peace. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That means He's there all the time. Listen to what he said again in Deuteronomy. You don't have to turn to this. Let me read it for you. Deuteronomy 3 and verse 6, 31, 6. Be strong and of good courage, fear not, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord thy God, it is he that doth go with thee. He will not fail thee nor forsake thee. Is it still true? Can I say God's covenant with me was similar to, in the far as promises are concerned, with the promises he made with the Israelites? I wasn't there with them in the Red Sea and the desert and all that. I wasn't there. The promises that were made then that he made to those people, I wasn't there. I'm not even Jewish. I think if you take the T-O-N off of Hamilton, you get Hamil, and that might be close. <laughs> well, there was a skater named Dorothy Hamill. Wasn't she Jewish? Anyway, back to this. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That means that I have a promise in God's offering to me, whether he made it to them over there or to me over here. He said, all the promises are yes and amen. They're all contained in Jesus. So that's where I am. My life is hid with Christ in God. So I'm there with him. The promises. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Driving down the road, walking home tonight, whatever you're doing, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. The same chapter of Deuteronomy says, And the Lord, it is he that doth go before thee, and he will be with thee. He will not fail thee, neither forsake thee. Fear thou not, nor be dismayed. Don't be bewildered and lose your hope. What more can he say? I go before you. I am with you. I'll take care of you. Don't be dismayed. Shouldn't we live like that? This is the good life. This is the kind of person that can't be bought, can't be corrupted, can't be thrown off course. But let's face it, all of us at some point in our life, all of us, especially as we're growing and God is weaning us away from toys, we feel like we've been abandoned. It's not working. I'm trying as hard as I've ever tried in my life, and I'm not getting anywhere. Let me tell you all something. I think it's healthy when things are not going right, and you're dealing with things you never had to deal with before, to sit down, get quiet for a minute, and ask yourself, is there something wrong with me because I know there's nothing wrong with you? Have I missed it somewhere? Am I taking liberties in my life that are getting me in trouble? Is there something? I'm not trying to condemn anybody or, or myself or anybody. I'm just saying we start there. When I can't find things, I, my keys are my checkbook. And if this just happens two or three times in a week, I say, wait a minute, time out. Am I doing something wrong? And I may find a little something just 
maybe not dealing with something in prayer like I should. Letting things slip and realize the next day I forgot to pray. Would that be a big enough deal? It might be for me. It might be for me why I've opened the door. The Bible said don't give place to the devil. To whom much is given, much is required. Our life is lived on a higher level than it used to be. We can't take liberties with the past and think it's okay today. Or take liberties with the future because we've had a good past. We're living right now. You feel like abandoned sometimes? I have. I feel I remember one time praying for one of my children. I remember he's looking up and I said, don't you care? Now, I know you wouldn't do that. I did. You've got to watch your attitude. I don't think it's wrong for you to deal with the Lord. I don't think it's wrong for God to draw you like he did when his name was still Jacob. Jacob, you remember, he wrestled with God and he wouldn't let go. And he said, let me go. And he said, not until you bless me. And then he called his name Israel after that. Remember that? He wasn't condemned for wrestling with the Lord. I'm not going to let you go. No, I want to know. Didn't God say, come now, let us reason together? Didn't he say that? Doesn't the Bible say, speak thou that thou mayest be justified? There's nothing wrong with you going before the Lord. Say, look, time out, me and you, Lord. I have got to get this off my chest. I want to talk to you. Now, I'm again, you have to watch that you're not trying to be a fancy pass before God. Lord, I've got to talk to you. Something ain't right. Something's not doing as it should. You're going to have to talk to me. Or somebody's going to have to prophesy to me or somebody's going to have to call me or something and hit this nail in my heart on the head because I don't know what to do. I don't know. I just feel like things are not going well. And you'll find little by little every day a little bit of peace begins to come in. And all of a sudden, it's happened to me not too long ago. Wrestling with something and struggling with something. It suddenly, a verse popped into view that I've heard all my saved life and spoke of at least a thousand times. Cast all your care upon him because in keeping with his nature and his covenant with you, he cares for you. But cast my care upon you. I am rolling. I'm trying to fix this thing myself. And I can't. I'm not capable of fixing this problem that I'm facing, whether it's in the family, in my body, and money, or the church. I can't fix it. So what does the great fixer say? Give it to me. And it's real. I think, I can do this. I cast... All my cares upon you. I lay all of my burdens down at your feet. And anytime, remember the song? Y'all making me sing it? Anytime I don't know what to do, I will do what I am supposed to do and cast all my cares over on you. And listen, listen, listen. And walk away from it. I'm not going to fret ever again over this problem. God is bigger than life. God is bigger than problems. God can fix it. I have no other choice.
Amen. I have no other choice. And God who made my body can fix every part of it. And God who makes man can control every step of his life, his destiny in everything. And God who made the heavens and the earth can supply all of your needs without even a blink of his eye. I'm not going to worry about it anymore then. God is bigger. What about your life? Remember that wonderful verse? The scripture says, Yea, you know what the rest of it is. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. When it's my turn to walk through that valley where death, the shadows of death begin to make their presence known and they cast their shadows and you're walking through that valley. You know what, is, you know what the psalmist said? Remember what he said? I will fear no evil. How is it that you don't fear? I want to not fear. How is it you don't fear? What does he wind up saying? Lord, my shepherd, I said, I don't want to leave me to place. Yea, thou walk the valley, shall thou fear no fear before thou, for thou art. Oh, that's it. Presence. For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff. Two symbols of his authority and power from heaven and to man. His rod and his staff, they what? Comfort us. Wouldn't you like that? Well, I don't like that valley thing, but I like the comfort thing. Well, the valley thing is inescapable. I said the valley thing is inescapable. You get your turn. Just make sure when you walk through that time, you fear no evil. His rod and his staff, they comfort you. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. That might be when you're in that great, wonderful new Jerusalem where the only light that exists is the light of God. Everything else is outer darkness. You can't see out there. They can see in you. And he prepares your table in the presence of your enemies. Makes your cup run over. Isn't that a good life? My goodness, folks, if that's not the good life, I don't know where else to turn in this book. The good life is power. When Paul was in prison, in Acts chapter 16, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And the chains fell off. They couldn't stand under that song. That song had so much power in it. That old-fashioned song of yesteryear had so much good in it. And the chains fell off. The guards got saved. The whole family got saved. Another time he was in jail, angel came and got him, walked right past the guards. They were looking right at him and couldn't see him. I think God has control over other people's eyeballs. I think God controls circumstances. I think God can make a normal little old skinny prophet lay down in front of a bunch of, of lions. You ever see them on that, Geo? I love animal stuff. Boy, they're vicious. What about a man laying right down every side one? Hello, bud, and then go to sleep. Look like one of Bonnie's little kitties, you know. Bonnie, Bonnie's got a cat, and so she's laying right down beside that thing. Well, I gave it to her. <laughs> Think of this: 
concerning his presence and his power. Paul was in Acts 23. He was in a jail cell. He'd been testifying, got beat up for it. And the Bible says the night following, sit in the jail a whole day and a whole night. Nobody's around. You've hurt all over. They've been beating on you. Your face is sore. Your back is sore. They had to rescue you because they thought these religious people would kill Paul. So they got him out of there, put him in his own little private place, a little dungeon type place. He sat there all that day and all the next day alone in his thoughts. You ever feel abandoned? I'm sure he had to face it. And the Bible says, and the night following, Jesus stood there with him. Isn't that good? Just all of a sudden, Paul was sitting there. And look up, and there's the master. There he is. I don't know if the light was shining, and Paul went, there was Jesus. And he said, be of good cheer. You're doing good. But he said, be of good cheer. Didn't get him out of his chains, didn't touch his body, didn't make him feel better, didn't take away the anguish. He just simply said, be of good cheer. You're doing a good job. I'm with you. You can't see me, but I'm always there. And he was gone. Do you suppose Paul had a smile on his face after that? You couldn't bribe this man. You couldn't threaten this man. You couldn't do anything to this guy because he knew who he was. He knew who the Lord was, and he knew the Lord was with him. And God wasn't going to let anything happen to him that wasn't supposed to happen. So, number one, the good life is the peace and the power of his presence. How about, secondly, the good life is a life of security. Protection. Isn't that good? Long life. Turn to Psalm 91. Oh, turn to Psalm 91. Put your tennis shoes on in case you want to run. This silence means you've forgotten what that means. How many of you have ever run? Five of you. We ought to just one night say, all right, everybody get up. All you old deadheads, get up. Let's take off running. But if there's no deadheads in here, nobody run. All you lively souls, get up. Let's get the band up here and play a song. Let's run. It's not a good running room here. This cathedral needs to be expanded a little bit. But anyway, the point is that some things in the Bible are so good, every time you read them, they're still good. They have the same ending. Every time you read them, it comes to the same conclusion. And it's so good because it is good to those to whom it's real. It's real. And you think, oh, man, talk about the wonder of it all. Look at the very first verse of Psalm 91. That's the one we remember well, but we remember all of these well. He said, he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide. There's the presence under the shadow of the Almighty. The testimony is, I will say of the Lord that he, not the world or the world system, but he is my help, my refuge, my fortress, my God, and in him I will trust. Now, here's what he gives me. Surely he shall deliver me from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. He shall cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings thou shalt trust. His truth shall be thy shield and thy buckler. You won't be afraid of terror by night, nor by the arrow that flies by day. I think you're pretty secure. 
if the creator of all the heavens and the earth says he will do this for you, simply because you made a decision to know him intimately or to spend time in that heavenly place? Look with me down in verse 14. See, the verse 9 begins with what? Because. What's the first word in verse 14? Okay, that is, inasmuch as you have done this, this is what God will do. This is where my security comes from. This is what he said. Verse 9, he said, because, he said, because you've made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the most high, your habitation, this is what you get. This is the good life. There shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. Now, plague has to do with an incurable ailment. Things which destroy. Pestilences and plagues that destroy crops, lives, whatever. Listen to it again. He said, there shall no evil befall thee, no plague come now thy dwelling. Let me give you three other translations. Not that they're right, but just I like the way they say it. One translation says, and no terrible disasters will strike you or your home. Now, you've got to like that. In light of the last couple of weeks or the storms, if this is an accurate translation, it says, no terrible disasters will strike you or your home. Another translation says, and so no disaster will strike you. No violence will come near your home. And then there's a the Hebrew national version. Now, I like that because it's Jewish. The Hebrew national version says, no evil shall happen to you, neither shall any plague come near your dwelling. Now that would mean, if I'm reading it right, and this is how I read it. Because I make him my refuge and the most high my habitation. Because of that choice, that decision that I'm willing to make now. He said, God will see to it that your home will not be a place where evil visits you. Is God able to keep evil away from me? Is evil the epitome of the devil and the works of darkness? Now, God said, you do it my way and I will see to it like a roadblock to evil. No evil shall befall you. And he said, and no plague shall come near your dwelling. Now, near would be my neighbor next door. He's kind of near, but he won't even get that close. You all think I'm exaggerating? We're not. He said, no plague shall come near your dwelling. Can't even get close. What kind of plagues are there out there? I think of all the plagues in the world today, the things that, that people are so fearful of and, and are overtaking the, the medical world so much. Those things are out there. And then here he says, if you will dwell in the secret place, and whatever that means, and it means a lot, if you will make God your habitation, because you do that, no evil shall befall you. No plague comes near your dwelling. That is the good life. Now, if he is really going to do that, you don't need insurance. Now, if you're not sure he might, then you probably, I don't know, maybe you should. I'm trying to say what this says. 
And not only that, but he says in verse 11 that concerning you, concerning you, God will give charge to his angels to keep you. Are there angels out there? The Bible says they're in this room. Hebrews 1 says they're ministering spirits. They're here for whatever they do. First one, and the Bible says God assigns these angels to you, and wherever you go, whatever your circumstances, wherever you are, He gives them charge. God charges those angels. You take care of Him. No evil befalls Him. You prevent it. Just keep it out. Whatever He says to them. That's the good life. He will give His angels charge. That concerning you, no evil will befall you. They will bear you up in their hands lest you dash your foot against a stone. That's why your car stayed on the road or didn't get in an accident. You'll have authority, verse 13. You'll tread upon the lion and the adder. They shall take up serpents, tread upon adders, two-legged serpents. Verse 14 again. Because he has set his love upon me, that's you, here's what God says, I will deliver him, I will set him on high, heavenly places, because he has known my name. He will call upon me, I will answer him, I will be with him in trouble, I will deliver him and honor him. How much more do you want? And he says in the last clause of my policy here, he said, and with long life will I. Satisfy him. Satisfy is not a word indicating meagerness. Satisfy has to do with to the full. Abundance. Satisfy. Not only will he give you long life, but he will satisfy you with long life. You don't reach the end of this life dreading getting up in the morning. Satisfied means, you know, every day of your life, he's there to make it what it ought to be. And he said, I will show him what? I don't know why I'm hollering. Maybe you're not listening. But I will show him what? That's the whole Bible. God's saving ways, the offering of God for his people for their good. Receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Work out your salvation. Salvation. The work of God of redemption and blessing in his people that he hath chosen. He will show you that. What more is there in life? What better security could you ever have than to have the 91st Psalm? God is our doctor. That'd be a third one. God is our doctor. Is that the good life? Well, he surely is. One of his covenant names in Exodus 15 and verse 26. Would you turn back to Exodus for a minute, please? I know you don't mind. Exodus 15 and verse 26. And he said, if thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God. Listen to me. When you come here, you come here to listen. You have to pay attention. All right? 
You're not here because your boyfriend, girlfriend, wife, mom, dad, children. You're here because you need to hear what God has to say. Not Brother Hamilton. You pray that God will give a word through him. But God is your source. So I pray if thou wilt diligently hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God. And here's another choice. And will do what is right in his sight. And again, will listen to his commandments. And again, keep his statutes. Same thing twice. Here's what God says. I will put none of the diseases upon you, which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. Your Bible may have a center column reference in it where it shows that the Lord that healeth thee is a covenant name. Rapha or Rofika, however you want to pronounce it or say that. It was a name whereby God presented himself to his people in this way as a source that they would all need. I'm your doctor. I'm your healer. That's what he said. I'm your shepherd. That was a covenant name, Yahweh Roi. He said, I'm your shepherd. I'm your righteousness. I'm your shalom, your peace. I'm your banner. He presents himself in a specific way to his people, saying that with regard to your peace, who is leading and guiding you, your shepherd, who is watching over you, your banner, your righteousness, who it is, whose right ways you're... He is all of that specifically. And here he says, I'm the Lord that heals you. I'm the Lord that heals you. It just depends on whether you want to listen to the word and do what it said. Look in Deuteronomy 7. Deuteronomy chapter 7. You need this one. You need to probably write this one down. Because this is going to happen. It's already been happening, but it's going to happen some more. Verse 15. This is a promise again. It's based on verse 12. It's up to you. It's a choice. You will hearken, keep and do. If you do that, then the Lord shall keep unto thee the covenant and the mercy which you swear to your fathers. It's a condition. Verse 12. Read that one again. Verse 12. Then he goes down and say, He will love you. He will multiply you. Verse 14. You'll be blessed above all people and shall not be a barren male or female among you. And verse 15. And the Lord will take away from you all sickness. And will put none of the evil diseases of Egypt, which thou knowest, upon thee, but he will lay them upon all them that hate thee. Now, let me ask you something. Is God able to take away all sickness from the midst of us? Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask you this morning to begin effecting that cure in everybody that needs it. Amen. He can do that. There is not a condition or a situation with anybody in this room. Nothing can exist physically that God cannot make it go away. Nothing. He said, I will remove all what? From what? From where? From the midst of you. In other words, we don't need it. We don't want it. And it does not belong to us because our father said he will take it away. He doesn't put it on you if he's taking it away. He takes it away. Somebody else trying to put it on you. He said, if you will hearken, keep and do, listen, give ear to, hearken, keep and do what he says, he will do this. 
Everybody, we stand in the last day and say our testimony is that for all these years, me and my children, we have been well. Whole. We've been blessed. Remember Proverbs 4, verse 20. My son, give attention to my word. It always starts there. Incline your ear. That's the hearken. Incline your ear into my sayings. Let them not what? Hold fast to those words. Let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep them where? In the midst of your heart. Why? Let's study for a minute. Why keep them in the midst of... Why must I hold this word in its... What it says, the reality of it, not forget it, commit it to memory. Why must I hold this in the midst of my heart? Because they are the good life to all that have a Bible. To those that find them. Let me ask you a question, because this is easy. Who finds them? Those who look for them. You want it? Seek. What Jesus says, seek and what? You find. And what does God say will happen if you find them? In that, what we're looking at now, verse 22. And what will happen if you find them? They will be health to all your flesh. You want that? Father, in the name of Jesus, bless us with the reality of that also. Amen. You want that? To all who find them, they shall be health to all your flesh. I would like to say we can live without sickness. Because I think, beloved, I wish above all things that you may prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers. I think this is a good life. Turn to Psalm 103. Fourthly, we're going to review the benefits just briefly. Actually, all I'm doing this morning is going over things that we've been talking about for 30 years. And yet we talk about them every 30 days. You know why? Because I don't see enough evidence of it working. I want it to work here. While you're under my watch, I want all of you to benefit from the power of this word. I want us all. To benefit from it. To have this as our testimony. He said it. It works. Amen. Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not, verse 2, all of his benefits. What are they? All his benefits. Benefits are the good life. I know there are companies today that hire people to work and they give them benefits. But no company, no human system of man in this world can give you this. Nobody can give you what God only can give you right here. He said, who forgives all your iniquities. Only God can do that. Psychologists can tell you to try to wash it away with psychological, mystical trash. But only God can remove it and give you a clear conscience. Not only that, but for all those non-charismatics out there who think we overdo this, 
we're just joining you in verse 3. We agree with you that God forgives sins and that salvation is the message of the hour. But he didn't leave it there because he said, who heals what? Wow. Verse 4, it says he redeems our lives from destruction. Can he do that? You know, I think of that verse over in First Peter chapter 3 and verse 13. And he said, who is he that will harm you if you do what is right in his sight? Who is he that's going to harm you if you be followers of that which is good? Who is he that will harm you if you are followers of that which is good? The Lord's word and the Lord's way. Whom should I fear? And of what should I be afraid? If God be for me, Romans 8 says this, who can be against me? Where's the fear? Paul said to death, where's your victory? God says we pass from death to life in a twinkling. You don't even experience what death, I guess, is whatever it's supposed to be. You just go from living now to living again. I think when Stephen opened his eyes when he was stoned, was it Acts 6 or 7 when he was looking up and he was being stoned? I think when the rocks hit and the pain came, I think he saw Jesus waiting for him. I think he just went from his body to heaven, right on up. Now, you tell me that's not a good way to go, even if there are rocks involved. Right out from this world into the presence of God. Should we cry about that? Next thing he said he does, he crowns you with his mercy and his kindness and his goodness. That's what his loving kindness means. It's another word for mercy or merciful or goodness or kindness. It's the nature of God and how he relates to his people to be their God. Good, loving, kind. He relieves their sufferings and so forth. God does that. And finally, he says he will satisfy your mouth with good things. That wouldn't be bad, would it? I heard a man say years ago, there's more to a cow than hamburger. Now today, there's no hamburger. Don't they still sell hamburgers in restaurants? Or do they sell something like a hamburger? Isn't it fried slime? Pink slime, they fried up his hamburger with filler. Well, I wouldn't blame you if you didn't eat them either. I mean, but a Big Mac once every six weeks, I think that's the way I do it. Once every six weeks, pretty good meal. I'm not bound to slime, and I'm not in fear of foods. It's just some things I'd work better with without, but sometimes I just dive in and get the fries with it. I don't care about the pop, but I like the fries and that and my big bucket of iced tea and just sit out there and keep throwing out there to the birds. That old white flower, they like it. <laughs> he satisfies my mouth with good things, and he renews my youth like the eagles. I say, well, you don't look so young anymore. Well, you don't either. 
I don't think we're supposed to look young all of our life, are we? Ain't no magazine wanting me on the front of it. And I'm not wanting to be on a magazine. I don't care about looking young. I just want to be able to do everything I need to do in my life without dreading to do it or being weary. If I want to walk a mile or two up the road, I want to, I did it yesterday. I just want to take off up the road and come back and then do whatever else I do. Here we are still in winter having to mow grass. But he said here, he satisfies your mouth with good things so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. Finally, this morning, turn to Deuteronomy again, back to Deuteronomy chapter 29, and we'll close. We started there, we'll finish there. Part of the covenant that God made in verse 9 was, Keep, therefore, the words of this covenant and do them. Now, before I finish that, where it says that you may prosper... Let me say this to all of us in here, those of you out there. We cannot keep the words of any covenant if we don't familiarize ourselves with the covenant. We can't be doers of the word unless we know what the word says to do. We cannot give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard unless we have heard them. You got to hear them to do anything right. And the only thing right... And the only thing that is good is God's Word. Other things may seem good. Other things may seem right. But the only thing that is right is God's Word. Now, he says, it's where he started. He did it in Proverbs 4, all through these other things we've read. He says it here again. He says, if you will keep, therefore, the words of this covenant and do them, that you may prosper in all that you do. It is my belief my confession that everybody who is in attendance here on a regular basis should prosper without exception. But you don't prosper because you've heard it. You have to make application of it. Some people listen, some people don't. I notice every week I stand here for 31 years. I've seen multitudes of people that do not listen, do not pay attention. Just saw one while ago. Where are you looking? Well, I'm trying. I'll look at the wall. I don't know why. I cannot imagine wanting anything else in life besides these promises. Nothing. This is my life. Everything I could possibly need for success and well, prosperity is in this book. Teach me thy ways, O Lord that I may walk in thine truth, incline my heart to fear thy name, so that when I come in here, I'll take advantage. And this moment we have, I will redeem the time. I will make the most of it and listen to what the Lord is saying to me. And he says here, keep this covenant, do what it says, so that you prosper. The Hebrew word for prosper means to be prudent. To be prudent means to be wise, judicious, thoughtful, thinking things through, thinking before acting. It means to be wise in your practical affairs of life, in what you do as a wife, as a husband, with children, with routines, family, trips, plans, whatever they are. 
wisdom in knowing how to do things right. It has to do with making good decisions. Good decisions. How many of you can look back in the last five years and see where you made bad decisions? And the reason you made them was because you didn't think about what the will of the Lord was. What should I do? I made some bad decisions. I won't even go into all that, but I remember one particular thing as a pastor made a bad decision. It still haunts. It still kind of lingers. I can think two of them now. That was not a good choice. That was not good. It wasn't good at all. We can redo it and fix it. But we don't have to make bad decisions. The word prosper, not in this case meaning money and abundance, but it can mean being sensible, being frugal, being thrifty. There are people whose budget is limited, but they have learned how to make the most of their budget, of their money. It's not wrong if there's a brand name of something, and then there is a store brand of the same thing, probably made by the same company with a different piece of paper around the can. And one of them is a dollar, and one of them is 50 cents. It's not wrong to get the 50-cent can. Now, there are people who say, I ain't eating that 50-cent stuff. I'm eating this dollar one over here. That's fine. It's your choice. There's a lot of ways I'd join you, too. But in some ways, I think, well, you know, it's only going to last for 10 minutes at the table. I'm going to get this 50-cent one. Or I can get two cans for the one. It's just the idea that a wise, thoughtful, sensible, good decision, judicious mind game in life. How many of you know it's wise to listen? It's wise to pay attention. Somebody's going through a difficult time. Before you go run up to them and say something, it's good to think about what you're going to say before you say it. That's prospering. You prosper when you do that. In closing, Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8 uses the word prosper like this. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Prosperous and good success are the products of a man as a Christian doing things God's way according to what is written. And he's blessed. There's so much more to what I said that magnifies the good life. Deuteronomy 28, Psalms 34, Psalms 37, Psalms 112. Blessed is the man. We cannot read very much in the Bible without continuous confronting of the Word of God with blessings. It is not wrong to be blessed. If somebody ever accuses you or you're preaching, well, he's one of them blessing preachers. So be it. I believe in being blessed. I believe in overcoming too. But I believe that it can be well with our souls. That we can smile when we go to bed at night and smile when we get up in the morning and give thanks for what you have to eat and walk with a testimony and a smile throughout the day, glad to be alive, rejoicing that you have another day to witness, to be alive and to let your light shine.
we're blessed. You have an opportunity to live the good life. Amen. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, in the name that is above every name, O Lord, I ask you to bless your people with an understanding of your word and your truth. Lay it upon our hearts. Give us a desire to hearken, to be diligent, to seek first, to redeem, to labor, make the most of all these opportunities that you've given to us. You have said so much about it. Let grace find its way into our hearts and to our wills and quicken us to seek your kingdom. I ask you to do it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.